You are listening to Spark My Muse, and I'm your host, Lisa DeLay. Today is Soul School, Lesson 207, Tillich on Art and Literature. I'm returning to Paul Tillich and his book, The Courage to Be, because I find him incredibly insightful in this book that seems practically prophetic, written almost 70 years ago. As a mid-20th century philosopher and existentialist and theologian, Paul Tillich comes to us with really keen insights on meaninglessness and chaos and anxiety that we experience as humans, but also during the collapse of institutions and systems which normally provide structure to us. And in these times of COVID pandemic and many systems that we have taken for granted or are familiar with, his words are educational and in a way comforting to us. A lot of people are unfamiliar with Paul Tillich, and that's why I enjoy bringing his wisdom back around. Today I'm going to read from page 142, and this section is called The Courage of Despair in Contemporary Art and Literature. And remember that he wrote this in 1952. This is really at the peak of the modern arts period. World War II has ended in recent memory for these people, and modern art comes out as this chaotic response to traditional art, realism, and art coming from communist countries. And to many people, this signals a terrible downfall of society and civilization. What we know now is the U.S. government was funding art programs that were specializing in modern art as a kind of propaganda against the propaganda of the art that was coming out from communist countries. It was a kind of open rebellion against it. But often conservative people in the United States reviled it and sensed that it was a harbinger of horrible things to come. Tillich speaks to this movement in art and literature as a way of expressing anxiety, as a way of positively expressing our fears of death and despair. I find this section incredibly insightful, and I hope that you can take it in. Maybe listen to this episode again if you need to. He writes in quite a heady, educated way. He's also referring to Paul Sartre, the atheist existentialist, and his play No Exit. Some of these things you can look up. I will be linking to them in the show notes so you can get a feel for the context in which he was writing. He mentions other philosophers too. But by understanding this time of experiencing meaningless and despair, I think it helps us in our time. This is the ethos or the pathos of what we are experiencing now. Everything has been upended, people's jobs, people's ways of worship, people's ways of interacting, the fear of sickness and death with the worldwide plague. We're in a time of enormous upheaval. This is affecting every single aspect of our lives. We can really learn something here. He writes, The courage of despair, the experience of meaninglessness, and the self-affirmation in spite of them are manifest in the existentialists of the 20th century. Meaninglessness is the problem of all of them. The anxiety of doubt and meaningless is, as we have seen, the anxiety of our period. The anxiety of fate and death and the anxiety of guilt and condemnation are implied, but they are not decisive. When Heidegger speaks about the anticipation of one's own death, 
it is not the question of immortality which concerns him, but the question of what the anticipation of death means for the human situation. When Kierkegaard deals with the problem of guilt, it is not the theological question of sin and forgiveness that moves him, but the question of what the possibility of personal existence is in light of personal guilt. The problem of meaning troubles recent existentialists, even when they speak of finitude and guilt. The decisive event which underlies the search for meaning and the despair of it in the 20th century is the loss of God in the 19th century. Furderbach explained God away in terms of the infinite desire of the human heart. Marx explained him away in terms of the ideological attempt to rise above the given reality. Nietzsche as a weakening of the will to live. The result is the pronouncement, God is dead and with him the whole system of values and meanings in which one lived. This is felt both as a loss and as a liberation. It drives one either to nihilism or to the courage which it takes non-being into itself. There is probably nobody who has influenced modern existentialism as much as Nietzsche, and there is probably nobody who has presented the will to be oneself more consistently and more absurdly. In him, the feelings of meaninglessness become despairing and self-destructive. On this basis, existentialism, that is, the great art, literature, and philosophy of the 20th century, reveal the courage to face things as they are and to express the anxiety of meaninglessness. It is creative courage which appears in the creative expressions of despair. Sartre calls one of his most powerful plays, No Exit, a classical formula for the situation of despair. But he himself has an exit. He can say, No Exit, thus taking the situation of meaninglessness upon himself. T.S. Eliot called his first great poem, quote, The Wasteland, unquote. He described the decomposition of civilization, the lack of conviction and direction, the poverty and hysteria of the modern consciousness, as one of his critics has analyzed it. But it is the beautifully cultivated garden of the great poem which describes the meaninglessness of the wasteland and expresses the courage of despair. In Kafka's novels, The Castle and The Trial, the unapproachable remoteness of the source of meaning and the obscurity of the source of justice and mercy are expressed in language which is pure and classical. The courage to take upon oneself the loneliness of such creativity and the horror of such visions is an outstanding expression of the courage to be as oneself. Humans are separated from the sources of courage, but not completely. They are still able to face and accept their own separation. In Auden's The Age of Anxiety, the courage to take upon oneself the anxiety in a world which has lost the meaning is obvious. 
as the profound experience of this loss. The two poles, which are united in the phrase courage of despair, receive equal emphasis. In Sartre's The Age of Reason, the hero faces a situation in which his passionate desire to be himself drives him to be the rejection of every human commitment. He refuses to accept anything which could limit his freedom. Nothing has ultimate meaning for him, neither love nor friendships nor politics. The only immovable point is the unlimited freedom to change, to preserve freedom without content. He represents one of the most extreme forms of the courage to be as oneself, the courage to be a self which is free from any bond and which pays the price of complete emptiness. In the invention of such a figure, Sartre proves his courage of despair. From the opposite side, the same problem is faced in the novel The Stranger by Camus, who stands on the boundary line of existentialism, but who sees the problem of meaninglessness as sharply as the existentialists. His hero is a man without subjectivity. He is not extraordinary in any respect. He acts as an ordinary official in a small position would act. He is a stranger because he nowhere achieves an existential relation to himself or his world. Whatever happens to him has no reality and meaning to him. A love which is not a real love, a trial which is not a real trial, an execution which has no justification in reality. There is neither guilt nor forgiveness, neither despair nor courage in him. He is described not as a person, but as a psychological process, which is completely conditioned. Whether he works or loves or kills or eats or sleeps, he is an object among objects, without meaning for himself and therefore unable to find meaning in his world. He represents that destiny of absolute objectification against which all existentialists fight. He represents it in the most radical way, without reconciliation. The courage to create this figure equals the courage with which Kafka has created the figure of Mr. K. A glimpse at the theater confirms this picture. The theater, especially in the United States, is full of images of meaninglessness and despair. In some plays, nothing else is shown, as in Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. In others, the negativity is less unconditional, as in Tennessee Williams' A Streetcar Named Desire. But it seldom becomes positivity. Even comparatively positive solutions are undermined by doubt and by awareness of the ambiguity of all solutions. It is astonishing that these plays are attended by large crowds in a country whose prevailing courage is the courage to be as a part in a system of democratic conformity. What does this mean for the situation of America, and with it, of humankind as a whole? One can easily play down the importance of this phenomenon. One can point to the unquestionable fact that even the largest crowds of theater-goers are an infinitely small percentage of the American population. One can dismiss the significance of the attraction the existentialist theater has for many by calling it an imported fashion, 
doomed to disappear very soon. This is possibly, but not necessarily so. It may be that the comparatively few, few even if one adds them to all the cynics and despairing ones in our institutions of higher learning, are a vanguard which precedes a great change in the spiritual and social psychological situation. It may be that the limits of the courage to be, as a part, have become visible to more people than the increasing conformity shows. If this is the meaning of the appeal that existentialism has on stage, one should observe it carefully and prevent it from becoming the forerunner of collectivist forms of the courage to be as a part, a threat which history has abundantly proved to exist. The combination of the experience of meaninglessness and of the courage to be as oneself is the key to the development of visual art since the turn of the century. In Expressionism and Surrealism, the surface structures of reality are disrupted. The categories which constitute ordinary experience have lost their power. The category of substance is lost. Solid objects are twisted like ropes. The casual interdependence of things is disregarded. Things appear in a complete contingency. Temporal sequences are without significance. It does not matter whether an event has happened before or after another event. The spatial dimensions are reduced or dissolved into a horrifying infinity. Organic structures of life are cut into pieces which are arbitrarily, from the biological, not the artistic point of view, recomposed. Limbs are dispersed. Colors are separated from their natural carriers. The psychological process, this refers to literature more than art, is reversed. One lives from the future to the past, and this without rhythm or any kind of meaningful organization. The world of anxiety is a world in which the categories, the structures of reality, have lost their validity. Everybody would be dizzy if causality suddenly ceased to be valid. In existential art, as I like to call it, causality has lost its validity. Modern art has been attacked as a forerunner of totalitarian systems. The answer that all totalitarian systems have started their careers by attacking modern art is insufficient, for one could say that the totalitarian systems fought modern art just because they tried to resist the meaninglessness expressed in it. The real answer lies deeper. Modern art is not propaganda, but revelation. It shows that the reality of our existence is as it is. It does not cover up the reality in which we are living. The question, therefore, is this. Is the revelation of a situation propaganda for it? If this were the case, all art would have to become dishonest beautification. The art propagated by both totalitarianism and democratic conformism is dishonest beautification. It is an idealized naturalism which is preferred because it removes every danger of art becoming critical and revolutionary. The creators of modern art have been able to see the meaninglessness of our existence. They participated in its despair. At the same time, they have had the courage to face it and to express it 
in their pictures and sculptures, they had the courage to be as themselves. That's a fascinating essay. He speaks of artists and writers of art and literature as people expressing the truth of the meaninglessness they see and the structural breakdowns that they see. Truth tellers. And those who are trying to imitate what they feel is real as participating in dishonest beautification. That's probably the opposite of what some people might think normally. But the existentialist wants to deal with the entire spectrum of human emotions, not just the good feelings, but the feelings that we all have, especially as things break down and disperse, especially as we encounter suffering. You may need to listen to that again to really absorb the power of all those words and his train of thought. I definitely recommend Tillich's The Courage to Beat, even though it is almost 70 years old. He is a man of his time, speaking to his time, but his wisdom carries great meaning and help for us today. I hope you enjoyed this and pass it along to anybody you think is a person who appreciates this kind of in-depth look at culture and the human condition. If you would like to support me, I would deeply appreciate it. You can go to patreon.com slash sparkmymuse. Any contributions from a dollar on up unlock a lot of posts that are companions to these episodes, as well as plenty of other materials. And I know you will enjoy it. May blessing and peace and reality be yours. <laughs>